Hello Woodworms, I'm Ray Defterius and this is the Hand Tool Book Review. The podcast for people who love woodwork and love reading about woodworking too. Have you just started with hand tools and find yourself at a loss while trying to work on top of your table saw? Have you been unhappy with your workbench for a while and think it's time to upgrade? Or are you just simply curious as to what people mean when they talk about Nicholson, Rubeau or Holzapfel? There's probably no item that can run the gamut from revered to reviled as your own workbench, the next workbench you want to build, or somebody else's workbench. For a while now, I've wanted to get out a review on a book that I think will help you make a decision about which workbench to build, and also throw in a few supplementary resources that I think might help you. There are two excellent Kindle books that I've considered reviewing, The Workbench Design Book and The Practical Workshop, both by Christopher Schwarz. However, while I'd suggest that these are both valuable resources, ultimately I decided to go with workbenches from design and theory to construction and use as the first book I'll recommend on this topic. That might be a bit controversial, particularly if you're a big Kindle fan and want to try and sneak a read in during the boring meeting at work. That's because as at May 2020, there is no Kindle version of this book. In addition, the workbench design book is just over $20 as a Kindle book whereas Workbench's design and theory at $35 is quite a big step up. Admittedly, it's not that much more than a physical version of the Workbench design book, which is at $28, but it's still significantly more expensive. I think this type of book benefits from a physical version, mainly because I think you'll want to add notes and possibly even insert printouts about appliances you like, designs you favour, and cool ideas you've seen. I'm probably one of those woodworkers who likes to tinker incessantly with my bench, and I don't have any really strong beliefs on form. My first workbench was a Nicholson-style bench with large front aprons, and while for my second I was tempted to go full Rubeau because of the place this workbench holds in the popular imagination, ultimately I built my current bench as a hybrid. If I seem to be sitting on the fence about Rubeau versus English, I literally am sitting on the fence. I'll put up a picture on Instagram sometime of my bench because it's Rubeau on one side and Nicholson on the other, Possibly bizarrely, I also have a sliding Deadman on the Nicholson slide. I favour vastless work holding when planing edges by using a crochet most of the time, but also have a large moxen with 25 inch between centres that attaches to the end of the bench for dovetailing, and then flips long ways for use with the frame saw. Let's not discuss my design for an adjustable planing stop either. Basically, I mashed up a whole bunch of things I liked and built a bench that works for me. I still have no clear preference for the Rubeau versus Nicholson side, as I like the sides for different things. I prefer the apron for long edge work, and I like the Rubeau side when clamping things on top of the bench. So I think that I'm either completely unbiased, or completely confused. Anyway, assuming I haven't lost all credibility with the previous statements, let's dive in and look at this book in detail. As is usual with my book reviews, I've typically read these books a while back, and use that pre-read as an assessment to decide which is a good book for review. Then, in preparation for the podcast, I'll reread them and work out a script for the podcast. I'd forgotten what a rabbit hole this book is. I've built two benches in the last two years, a simple get-me-going orientation bench, and then a bells and whistles lifetime bench. And now, as I find myself rereading a book, I immediately start reconsidering options and trying to work out whether an L-shaped shoulder vise could be practically added to my bench. 
WTF. What is it about benches that gets into my blood so much and makes me continually want to have the next best thing? Honestly, I have no idea. But this book is written in typical Chris Schwarz style. There's an engaging voice and a raw sense of humour. If you like his articles, you'll like the tone of the book, and it's very easy to read. It's clear with Chris's books that portions of the work are adapted from magazine articles. If I use hand plane essentials or hand saw essentials as an example, there's a feeling that you're flipping through all those articles you ripped out and filed to keep to use sometime. Workbenches is not like that. I find it to be a cohesive whole that reads like a book and not like a collection of articles. That's a big plus for this book. As an example, it would have been easy to have had a few printed pages about the 10 types of vices and then later on another article about shoulder vices. Instead, this book pulls all the information together in one section and puts it in a logical and cohesive order. In other words, you get the benefit of his knowledge, curated and collated, into a well-set-out book. In the introduction, we are given some history of Chris's journey with workbenches and the context of his explorations. These learnings are further distilled into good, solid advice. Right at the beginning of the book, we are exposed to Chris's 10 rules of workbenches. And I believe that this is absolute gold when you are starting out. Or even when you're experienced, for that matter. Do you want to know if a bench can be too high or too low, too long or too wide? The answers are there, and some of them might surprise you. I'd really suggest that as you build your masterpiece, you revisit these 10 rules and check your design or alternate options against them often. And like Chris suggests, bring every design back and ask yourself if you can happily work faces, edges and ends. Do the door test and work out if you were building a door for yourself, would the workbench allow you to immobilize the stock for all the different operations? If not, you probably need to go back to the drawing board. The chapter on the basics of workbench design has a very self-deprecating title. I'd suggest that there are a lot more than the basics here. Chris discusses wood, and alongside his recommendations of suitable and affordable wood, there are tables for stiffness of common wood species that will allow you to make an informed decision about the lumber to be used. And after stiffness, there's janker hardness and weight or specific gravity. The only thing missing is cost, and you can easily pencil that in for your specific area and aspirations. You'll follow Chris's discussion on whether wet wood can be used, and if so, how to use it if you do. Design elements such as how to size it in terms of height, width and length. Tool trays are discussed, as is the placement of the bench in your workshop. And then we are introduced to the three primary continental benches. The French bench, or Ribot if you will. The English bench, known as the Nicholson to some. And the continental bench, a Holzapfel or German bench, with its characteristic L-shaped shoulder vice. The overhang of the working top, storage, and a variety of other subtleties are discussed before we jump into some very comprehensive analysis of the different types of vices you can use in your design. And I guess if we say vices, I should probably expand this to include all work holding. Your sliding dead man or bench slave, your bench or planning stop, and the holdfasts and hold downs you're going to use to make this work. In essence, the workbench and accessories are like a giant set of very strong hands that will hold your work in all the ways you need it to, while you work on the wood with your tools. By the time you've read the first 36 pages of the book, you should have all the informational building blocks you need to let you start tinkering with designs to your heart's content.
But if you don't want to tinker, don't panic. Latter parts of the book will give you some predefined recipes for success. But either way, by the time you get here, you'll have a knowledge of all the options and trade-offs. I'd suggest in fact that reading these pages could substitute for weeks of internet trawling. And unlike your own research on the net, when you're finished, you've got a clear and concise understanding of the options that are unpolluted by whoever shouts the loudest. I guess that in a way, this is why this book still exists and does as well as it does. The author guides you through options and gives you his opinions based on experience. I think it's safe to say Chris will try anything once. That means you don't have to. So let's not see you build any storage that interferes with your work holding. Really, if you take nothing else out of this chapter, write down the big lessons in bold at the top of your sketchpad. And if you're interested, there's a few detours in the sidebars, like the standing number 203. Don't ask me where you'll find one of these, but I found the history interesting. Chapter 3 is entitled Match Features to Functions. It's 20 of the best pages in the book, and if you have an intermediate level of knowledge and want to customize a bench to your specific needs, or if you're a beginner, confused with all the options. What Chris does, and I think it's a very clever approach by the way, is to separate out many, if not all, of the common tasks you will perform and give you his assessment of the best, second, third, and further choices that will accomplish this function. I'd suggest skimming through this chapter and identifying functions that line up with your requirements. This will let you start identifying features in your bench that will give you best-of-breed solutions to functions. So if you like doing hand-cut dovetails for your drawers, you'll find out that shoulder, twin screw, and leg vice are the best options in that order, but that you could get away with a tail vice, quick-release face vice, or crochet with a holdfast. Those are positions 4, 5, and 6 in his rankings. So let's expand this, and say that you like face-planing narrow boards with the grain as well, and that this is something that you do a lot in the work that you like doing. Now we have a planing stop, wagon vice, or tail vice, followed by planing boards and wonder dogs. So if we stopped and said, those were the only two functions you were going to do, you could go with first place in both places, and put in a shoulder vice and a planing stop, or maybe just settle for third place in both categories, and go with one device, a tail vice, that will do an adequate job. I hope this gives you an idea of the value of this section. And there's also a couple of common power tool operations, so if you're still using the orbital sander, you can check for it here, and build the bench that suits the way you work. I hope you get the idea. A simple list with some of the best options for the functions that are important to you may clear up that the shoulder vice you are lusting over is not a great option for what you do, and maybe there's a better option you could try. No doubt for many people this section will simply give a sense of security that the design choices you've already settled on are not going to be made obsolete by a newfound love. If you've got no interest in carving, it still might be worthwhile to consider if there's a retrofit that will work for you if you do become the next Mary May. Or perhaps you can just go ahead because one of your critical decisions has given you a workable option for another one of the things that you might want to do in the future. I guess that the only thing to be careful about in this section is that you don't end up building a multi-tool. By the time you're figuring out where to add your fifth vice to the bench, you've probably gone too far. Chris ends the chapter with a deconstruction or criticism of a few designs. I believe that you'll find this is a healthy way in which to begin your design process. 
As a segue, Chris also has published an excellent book, The Workbench Design Book. The subject matter of that book is a detailed critical analysis of 10 types of workbenches. It's an excellent companion book to this book, but I'd suggest that today's book is a much better book as a primer. In other words, this book can exist without the Workbench Design Book, but I'd suggest that the Workbench Design Book alone is not a great standalone book, unless you have a very specific bench in mind that is covered in that book. Back to our review. In essence, there are two main benches in the book, a Rubeau and a Nicholson. I'd suggest that together these styles of bench account for the majority of hand tool workbenches. Chris presents them as four separate designs, but I think of them as two sets of twins. The Rubeau versus the French gives two complexity levels, but you could happily trade aspects from one to the next. Likewise, the English and the knockdown Nicholson derivative are two separate sets of plans and instructions, but the features are not mutually exclusive. Add in all the vices and work holding options, and you really have a large selection of designs to choose from based on the two chassis that I'd suggest account for the majority of dedicated hand tool workbenches. Because the four benches share the same chapter setup, I'm going to take the first bench and discuss what you'll get in detail. The next three follow the similar pattern, but discuss the respective design choices that relate to that bench. So we start with the why build this bench section. You get the lowdown on what the bench is good for, and I think a fair summary of why you'd want to go with this bench. I think that for most readers, reading these introductions in quick succession will steer you towards the bench choice that is right for you, or at least help you narrow down the options. Chris then discusses specific aspects relating to the wood and how to laminate the legs. The joinery, in this case deep mortise and tendons is covered, and we also talk about draw bores. I think that you'll read this section and get an idea of how much of a technical strength you are in for with this design. So for example, if you're building your first bench, you might want to consider whether you really want to build a bench with a dovetail and twin tenon that's an integral part of the top joinery. The section is well illustrated. Because the chapter is written in a logical, clear, step-by-step order, it has the elements of a narrative instruction plan. If you take your time and read it well, then work through it carefully, I think you can punch way above your technical weight here, whatever level that currently may be. Chris has included the vices of each type that make sense, but you could, I guess with the minimum modifications, use these interchangeably between the different plans. I think though, think carefully before deviating from one of the plans. I like that at the end of the section Chris gives you a measure of how long it took him to work on the workbench. Read it and laugh at yourself. Your workbench is going to take you exactly as long as it's going to take you to make. I follow a number of people who've built Shannon Rogers' orientation workbench. I've seen a chap put it together in 11 days. I took from the beginning of January to Easter. That's a pretty sizable timescale variance. You might feel that if you like Aception that you can skip the other designs, but again I'd suggest that the book works well as an integrated whole. Planing stops and shelves are covered in the first bench, but are equally applicable to others. So you might read something in another section that sparks a thought process related to your bench. If nothing else, skim the other three designs to make sure there are no takeaways you are missing. To be frank, I think the workbench is such a considerable labour and supplies investment that I'd urge you to read all four sections carefully before making a final decision on your design. 
At the end of the narrative, there is information on finishing, and then we're on to the plans. The plans are awesome. There's a clear-cut list, perspective drawing, the frame anatomy, deconstructed to show you the major components, which are then clearly labelled. You're not going to get lost in the jargon. And then there's measured diagrams of the top, front, left and right views. That sounds great. But at the risk of stating the blindingly obvious here, make yourself a copy and erase any dimensions that you've changed and put in the new ones. I'm not going to admit that I've changed the design plan before and ended up with one side that matched the original plans and one side that matched my new dimensions. Let's just leave that for now and say it was a friend of mine who did that. But that same imaginary friend did it on a box. It took him about an hour to correct it. He didn't do it on a workbench, which could have you swearing for days or choosing another hobby. In addition to the four views, there are detailed diagrams for the key features. In this case, a leg vice jaw, parallel guide, details of specific curves, the leg rise arrangement, the vice handles, the apron end cap, the front and the back leg, exploded views, and the leg arrangement. There are dog patterns, end cap patterns, bottom and top rails, transverse support details, shelves, cleats, wagon vice pages, including blocks and views from the top and the underside of the vice. If I had to be critical on the diagrams, I don't know, I'd really struggle. This book seems to have covered it all, and they are really excellent. I haven't built this exact bench, but the detail included makes me feel that it would be a significant project, but one that is so well documented that it would be easy to work through this methodically step by step from lumber to finished product without getting lost or confused. I can think of no higher praise to give plans and instructions. The next bench is a knockdown Nicholson. It takes many of the same elements and with the addition of appropriate hardware gives some flexibility in terms of construction, movement and storage. By its nature this plan is slightly shorter in length, but at 20 odd pages each for the next three designs, they are all still very comprehensive. The French and Roubault styles are benches that are incredibly popular these days, and in many cases they are an aspirational bench for both beginner and more advanced woodworkers. The pages of plans, the details instructions, and all of the little added extras that you probably wouldn't find anywhere else should give you confidence to tackle this project. Like in the rest of the book, Chris is no hand tool purist, so you'll find a smattering of power tools in this book. I think you'll agree that they make sense if you want to go that route. But in a similar vein, there's enough description and often a completely different technique presented that'll let you decide on what is the most efficient way to build your own bench. I also wouldn't get too hung up on absolutes here. When I'm doing work, I'm all my lumber by hand. But I bought some S4S lumber for my workbench top. What is fun on a dovetail box might just not be that much fun over 8 feet times 24 separate pieces for a laminated top. After these plans we have a few concluding chapters. Chapter 9 covers maintenance and appliances and I think these sections will be the icing on the cake of your new workbench. There's certainly scope for more than what is listed, but I'd suggest that if you build the bench in the book and you build these appliances, you are well on your way to making just about any project. The final chapter is called Invent Nothing. I think it's a good cautionary. Read it before you set a sort to wood. And there's a few interesting articles in the appendix. A good one on draw boring, an interesting alternate workbench design, which is the hyper portable milkman's bench, as well as a personal favourite of mine, making wood screws 
and Amoxin Vice. If you've listened to the show before, you know what I'm going to say here, but if you've never owned a wood screw vice, you owe it to yourself to make one at some point. I'm sure you'll be intrigued, excited, and converted with the result. So at this point, we conclude the book. Workbenches, from design and theory to construction and use revised edition, is 192 pages long, and it's written by Christopher Schwarz. You can find the book on Amazon, and as of May 2020, it costs $35. Ultimately, this book contains very good plans for five workbenches, two French variants, two English variants, as well as a portable Milkman's bench. If you did set on building a low Roman workbench or a variant of the Moravian bench that's just like your best friends, maybe this book is not for you. However, if on the other hand you want to get a decent overview of the history, pros and cons of the two predominant styles, and some excellent plans and construction notes you can follow, this book is a great resource. The nature of your workbench is that it's going to be a project that takes some time, some effort, and some money. I'd suggest against this backdrop that getting a good book and taking a bit of time before you get started is well worth it. Now, if you're continually injuring yourself because the workmate keeps falling over, you might need to take a different approach. But I'm assuming that you want to get into this hand tool thing in a way that sets you up for the next couple of years, and with that reason, I'd give this book 8 out of 10 in the category Workbenches. Some closing thoughts, and I'm by no means claiming that I've performed an exhaustive study of everything that's available on the internet. If you're at a loss and want a free YouTube resource about a simple, no-nonsense bench out of construction lumber, I would highly recommend you look at Rex Kruger's English Joiner's Workbench or his low Roman-style workbench. Both of them are fast, affordable, and will get you going. Paul Sellers has a Nicholson-style build that's another very good resource if you want a traditional English style with a tool well. And then Shannon Rogers from the Hand Tool School has an orientation semester for sale that will help you not only build your first workbench in a completely supported manner with detailed videos and plans, but will also include lessons on planing, sawing, chiseling, and other hand tool skills. I think this money is well spent if you're investing in yourself, and I can heartily recommend that. It should take you six months to a year to get through the coursework, so consider the cost against the backdrop. I'm a paying member of the hand tool school, so I don't get any endorsement, affiliation, or anything from recommending it. I like it a lot and I pay full retail like everyone else. Paul Sellers is a master woodworker, and again, other than being in awe of his capability, I've got no commercial interest in recommending him to you. And likewise, I've got no affiliation with Rex, other than the fact that I think of him as a friend after interviewing him, and he's a really cool guy, so I'd like to see him do well. So that's it for now, woodworms. And remember, go build a workbench, And remember that it's also kind of important not to be so obsessed about the bench that you never get around to building things on the bench. And remember, keep reading. If you have any comments or suggestions, perhaps a favorite book you'd like to suggest or one you're considering buying that you'd like to be featured, drop me an email at handtoolbookreview at gmail.com. If you'd like to support the show, you can find me on Patreon. Any contributions go towards the purchase of books for the library and supporting future episodes.